0: Uh, Last week, we looked at the meeting of Mary and Elizabeth and Mary's song of praise to God. And today, we see another praise song. Uh, This time, it's not Mary or Elizabeth, but it's from Zechariah. Now, the big picture of what's happening in these verses are that John the Baptist is finally born. So, nine months have finally come and Elizabeth bore a son. But in the story of the birth of John the Baptist, we have two very distinct events that are happening. The first thing is the naming of John in verses 57 to 66. And the second event is Zechariah's hymn of praise in verses 67 to 80. Uh, And we're going to dive deeper into these two events today, and I'll draw some applications for us as we're going through them. Sounds good. So, naming of John. Okay, that's the first event that's happening. So the time has finally come, and Elizabeth is due to give birth, and she bears a son. And right here, you begin to look back at all the crazy events that just happened in Chapter 1. And uh, I kid you not, there's 80 verses here, and it really is just a detailed story account of the birth account of Jesus and even John the Baptist. And so here we see just all the things that have happened and how the angel has spoken to Zechariah in the beginning. And during this time, you didn't have kind of the doctor's visits that you normally have. Uh, When my wife was... uh, you know, giving birth, we had to go see, you know, the doctor every kind of uh, couple uh, months so that we can know that the baby was on track. And in the final tr- kind of month of it, we went to go see the doctor every week. And so here we see just uh, just kind of what's happening here is basically a fulfillment because they didn't have a sonogram to tell uh, Elizabeth what the gender is. So basically what they had to have was a complete trust, a complete faith, in the angel and so when you kind of uh, when the child came out that's when you finally knew what the gender of the child was and so here you see that kind of unfolding because it says in verse 57 now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son meaning uh, there's a fulfillment happening here okay what the angel said earlier is now coming true and here John is born and so many people hearing this they begin to rejoice now, remember a few weeks ago when we talked about the encounter between uh, Gabriel and Zechariah in that kind of temple. We saw how the angel uh, was said to uh, that Elizabeth was going to kind of give birth and she was going to give birth to a son. But many people were going to rejoice at this. Okay, And in verse 14, the angel says this, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. So here in this moment, what do you see here? A fulfillment, a partial fulfillment of what's at stake. Now look with me in verse 59. Uh, on the eighth day after giving birth, they probably, uh, being a Jew, they being the Jewish priest, came to circumcise John. Now circumcision was a sign of the covenant of the Abrahamic covenant, but this was given to signify the purity of the child, and that he was part of the descendants of Abraham. What this means was that for the Jews, they believed that circumcision was a rite of passage. Right. So basically, when you were circumcised, you were part of the family. If you were not circumcised, you would, you would not be part of the family. Right. You would kind of be an outsider. So it was a big ordeal. For John the Baptist to be circumcised. Now, it's sort of like when you get baptized and infant baptism for the Presbyterian Church today, where when you get baptized or when something good happens, all the family gather, everyone's rejoicing. Uh, when you graduate, everyone's coming together and everyone's rejoicing. But here we see that all the family members, all the relatives are here gathered. Why? Because they want to welcome uh, John into the family. Okay? And so Zechariah and Elizabeth um, you know, have this ceremony on the eighth day, and uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth name their child formally as John. Now you might be thinking, what is exactly the big deal of naming this child John? Okay? Um, now notice in verse 59 it says, They would have called him, the child, Zechariah after his father. Now, many times today, in today's culture, when you think of it, you kind of can come up with any name to name uh, your child, okay? There's, uh, there's, you know, many crazy names out there. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to name our, tr- our child daughter Brooklyn after, you know, my hometown, but then Joy said no. And so uh, we named her Brooke, All right, And so you could essentially name a child whatever you wanted, but in the ancient customs, you couldn't do that. Okay? In the ancient customs, uh, your son, uh, specifically your son, would be named after your grandfather or your father. And so here we see that the people are already assuming, and now there, there's some people wondering, why in the world would they call this child John? All right? Because there's probably no one in the family named John. And it's probably in this scene where you kind of have all the relatives looking at the baby, and they're like, oh, Zachariah, Zachariah. And, they're, and, and then Elizabeth's like, no, no, that's not Zachariah, that's John. And they're like, what? How? There's no one named John in your family. In fact, John was not a priestly name. Remember, going back to who Zachariah and Elizabeth were, they were priests. Right, And so here in this moment, uh, this is kind of like an abnormal kind of scene here. This is something that's bringing significance into who John is. And so Elizabeth says, he shall be called John. Now, we see this here being, um, you know, really uh, sticking out. It's kind of popping out at us because of this ancient custom. But here we also see another thing. Usually in ancient customs, the father would be the one who had the say on what the child's name was. But here, who makes the sound? Who makes the voice? Who makes the call? Elizabeth does. Elizabeth says, no, the child will be named John. And this is probably because Zechariah was mute. Right? Zechariah couldn't talk, he couldn't hear. But what is interesting here is that the reader is reminded that John uh, that John wasn't just from Elizabeth's kind of imagination no in fact Elizabeth and uh, Zechariah were given this name John from the Lord God was the one who gave uh, them this name and this was a child that was to be called John And so, when she says this, there's immediate objection in verse 61, where the relatives are saying, no, you're breaking the kind of the family line of names. And culturally, if you think about this, what Elizabeth is doing here is really breaking the rules. She's really breaking the rules. And this would be essentially disrespectful to the family line of the Levites. Because the Levites were a priestly family. And for them to call their name John made no sense because they were to name their sons after their fathers, their grandfathers. And so for Elizabeth to break such a family custom, we begin to see that she has courage. She has boldness. Why? Because she's not willing to fade in. She's not willing to give in to the pressures of her family. But instead, who is she giving in to? Who is she submitting to? She's submitting to God. Therefore, the family begins to wave and make signs at Zechariah and to get his attention and say, Look, look at what your wife is doing. She's naming this child John. Don't you care? And here we see that Zechariah tells them to get a tablet. And Zechariah writes, His name will be John you know Zechariah writing and confirming the name John really does something because you begin to see that as soon as he does this his mouth is opened he begins to talk and this shows us that he rightly understood the promises of God you see the first time Zechariah encountered Gabriel the angel what did he say when Gabriel said that you're going to get a son he, he asked for a sign he's like how would i know can you give me a sign there's a little doubt in his voice and here in the second time where he he's here to name this child he doesn't second-guess himself but instead what does he say he says no this child will be called John Zechariah understands what is at stake and he understands the divine plan of God now imagine how liberating this feeling is not being able to talk for nine months is crazy like, think about it. Like, we were in COVID pandemic lockdown mode for, like, like months, right? And, and you were kind of itching to get out just to speak to someone. And you could kind of speak to them through Zoom. And you can speak to them through kind of your you know, phone, FaceTiming them and whatnot. But imagine not being able to talk. This was Zachariah. For nine months, he couldn't talk to anyone. He couldn't communicate to anyone about anything. And so they're probably treated like as the kind of crippled in the room that doesn't you know really talk or do anything, and here we begin to see as first when Zechariah first in the beginning of the chapter goes into the temple to pray, he comes out without being able to say something. It shows uh, the people that wow, God was at work in Zechariah 's heart, but for Zechariah to finally now talk after nine months, what that shows us is that God's plan is being fulfilled. You see, in verse 20, this is what Gabriel says to Zechariah when he did not believe. Gabriel says, And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things will take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And so what do we have here in today's passage? You see that God's plan was underway. All of his promises were coming true. And so this event evokes fear in all the people that are witnessing this. Why? Because they begin to wonder, who exactly is this child? Who is this child where Zechariah was first mute and then now he can speak? Who is this person? Who is What is God doing in Zechariah's life, in other words? And so here during this time when Zechariah was mute, we kind of begin to infer and to understand that he learned of God and was now able to have a certain type of faith, certain faith in him. Now he he learned to trust God and his word rather than conforming to what the culture and the the pressures of his family. He decided to listen to God and he gives the name John, which was selected by God. And through his belief, his mouth was now open. Now, the question I want to ask you today is, if God was to tell you something will happen, will you believe? There are some people who take God as his word at an instant and believe sort of like Mary and Elizabeth. They hear the word of God once and then they believe it to be true. But there there are some that are skeptical, like Zechariah, some who need proof. And here in this moment, we see that God uses suffering to teach him to trust in the lord this is a hard lesson but it's a necessary one today if you're like elizabeth who believes instantly or if you're like zachariah who is still unsure of whether or not to believe i want to make note of this at the end of the day we are to believe in jesus in order to be saved there's no other way and surely every day that goes by is one day closer to his return. And I pray that all of us here today would know and believe that Jesus Christ is Jesus is the Christ. Number two, the second event that emerges from this is that Zachariah's praise song. In verses 67 to 80, now imagine if you were silent for nine months. What would be the first words out of your mouth? And I think there's a million things that we could say But what Zechariah chooses to say is blessings towards God. He literally began to praise God. Now, in verse 67, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he begins to speak this song, which is usually called the uh, Benedictus, which means blessed after the first word of the song in land. Now, remember last week we saw Mary's song and we saw kind of as we were looking at Mary's song, we saw kind of a lot of the uh, kind of references from the Old Testament prophets. And here we kind of have the same thing. There's some similarities between Mary's song and Zechariah's songs. Both of these songs were sang, praising God for the Messiah's birth. Both of them spoke in the past tense, although they were looking forward. And both songs contained words and references from the Old Testament. Now, if we were to examine kind of Zechariah's songs as we saw last week with Mary's song, we would begin to see rich references to the Old Testament prophets. And I hope that I get to, I'll do that uh, the same thing today. So the first part of this song is the blessing for God, which is in verses 68 to 75. And the second part is in the blessing uh, for his son, which is in verses 76 to 79. So let's look at this carefully. So blessing for God. Here we see that God is to be praised, and the reason for this is because he has visited and redeemed his people. Now this idea of the redemption, to redeem, reminds the people of this big event which is in the Old Testament, the exodus. Whenever you see the redemption, many of the Israelites are going to think of the exodus and what happened at this time. Now, looking back at the memory of what God did to his people, he got the people out of slavery. He he set them free so that they can be his people. And so this was a monumental moment for Israelites. And so what Zachariah is kind of pointing at is, Look at remember the exodus where God has visited you, where God has redeemed you? And and what he's really invoking in people's minds is this, that Zechariah is pointing to a new exodus that will come when Jesus Christ comes. So all this language is is referring to this new age that is unfolding. There's a fulfillment that is happening. Again, the word fulfillment. Okay, Not only is this a foreshadowing of the new exodus that's coming, but what we see here is the mention of a raising up of a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And here, Zechariah does not just mention uh, anything about his son. Here, he's talking about the Messiah. He's mentioning that what the prophets have said in the past to bring upon salvation, this time is coming. This idea is to let the people know that the Messiah is coming. And all of this is pointing to this great new age for all all the people, for those who studied the Old Testament, for those who were Jewish scholars during this time, for those that were priests. Uh, this would be shouting at them to show them that the Messiah has finally come. This new age, this new covenant is unfolding. And it's not Zechariah's son, but it's actually Jesus Christ, the Lord. And so here, this is the first part of Zechariah's son. What he's trying to get at is to see everyone, to, for everyone to see what God is doing. Okay, The way that Zechariah connects the old to the new is, is showing everyone this is the new age. The time that you have been waiting for is finally here. Wake up and, and smell the roses because it's, it's happening, right? And, and the reason why he's referencing all this Old Testament is to get people interested to see what uh, the, the, the new age of the Messiah is here, that he's going to rescue the people and he's going to bring upon salvation to everyone who believes in him. Now, the second part of the song, um, it begins in verse 76, which is about the blessing for his son. So he b- begins to shift his focus back to John, and he says this. Uh, and unlike Mary's song, uh, remember Mary's songs was kind of focused in the inward, then towards the outward, but Zachariah flips it. He does the outwards and then now the inward, where he's talking to his son, and he says this. His son will go before the Lord, that his son will be known as as the prophet of the Most High, he will go before the Lord and prepare the way of the Lord. He will lead people to repent of their sins and he will preach about the coming of salvation. And, and let's look at this closely because in verse 76 we see this, that he will go, prepare his way, and this part right here, this phrase, is actually a reference to Isaiah 40, uh, verse 3, which says this, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. What Zechariah is saying is John you are the fulfillment of the Old Testament. You are the forerunner that is to come. In other words, this prophecy is proclaiming that there is this herald that will come and he will share of this new exodus that's unfolding. Again, this language is reminding the people and telling everyone that the new exodus that has been prophesied by the Old Testament prophets is now here and it's coming. right? And, and then we see this world—a word of salvation. Now, salvation, oftentimes, uh, when the Israelites thought of it, again, they think of the deliverance that they've had uh, from the Egyptians. They think of the exodus. And uh, some of them are now thinking of the oppressions from the Romans. But here is not a political deliverance. You see, because right after that, there's a phrase which says, a forgiveness of sins. And this is what exactly is about to take place. What Zechariah is saying is, no, Israel, you're not just gonna, you're not going to be a free nation. No, you're you're about to get delivered from your sins. You're you're there's a, there's going to be a new age that comes where you are going to be set free spiritually, and all of this is because of the tender mercy of God, the compassion of God. But here's the interesting point, okay? Which, which says this, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to the, verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. And this idea of sunrise refers to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. How so? Well, the rising refers to the sprout. Uh, that comes from a seed and if we look at Malachi verse, uh, chapter 4 verse 2 this is what it says for but for you who fear my name the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall so this idea that Malachi is saying of, about the son of righteousness shall rise is pointing back to the Davidic king the one who will come from the descendants of David, the one who will reign in righteousness. And this is supported by verse 79, which says this, to give light to those who sit in darkness, which again is a reference to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. And all of this is to say this, that this is great news that is erupting Okay. What Luke and, and what the purpose of all of this is to kind of get at is to show us that there's a new age here, that there's a new king, there's a new ruler that is about to come forth. And so you begin to see all this excitement that's about to happen, all the changes that are about to take place, and this is like the epic, climactical moment here where everyone uh, that has been waiting for years upon years have, are now able to see and there's this, uh, I'm going to close with this. There's this uh, saying that is attributed to Paul Revere, which is, the British are coming. But uh, history fact is that Paul Revere did not actually say this. And the reason for this is because his mission was uh, more of a secret rather than yelling and riding on a horse. And the British are here. You know, a lot of the cartoons uh, say that. Um, but he probably would have said, the regulars are on the move. Regulars meaning British. And, um, but besides that, the phrase, the British are coming, is known for uh, you know, signifying a warning that, that emphasizes that the enemies are about to come. That the battle is about to begin. And, um, and what this statement really says, it's really, uh, this doom is about to happen. And essentially, what Zachariah's song does is reminds us of that. It's a reminder for all of us today that Jesus Christ has come and is coming again. Jesus Christ has come and is coming again. You see, the reader reading this today is left in awe of the epic moment that's about to erupt. For those that are in sin, there is a glimmer of hope for you. Why? Because there's a true light that has come. And for those that are in belief, there's a great joy that awaits us because Jesus Christ has come and will come again. And so brothers and sisters, for us reading this from a post kind of Christ ascension view here, we have the hope that Jesus Christ did all of this to bring us out from darkness. And our God who promised all things from the very Old Testament has kept his word. And now we can have assurance that Jesus Christ will come again. You see, our God is a God who keeps promises. Our God is one who's faithful to his word. And I pray that all of us, as we read this, as we meditate on this, that we would know for certain that Jesus Christ has come and that Jesus Christ will come again. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. And you're a God who keeps promises. And as we look at this song uh, by Zechariah, this prophecy, we're reminded of how you have kept your word and how this new exodus has uh, come through the birth of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, help us to always remain faithful to you. Help us to look to you and help us to always remember that our life is not for our own glory, but it's for yours. And so help us live out faithfully. Uh, And we thank you, God, for everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.